All right, we are in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, uh, verses 1 through 5 tonight, and this is our uh, night for our communion service, so as soon as we get done with the message, we will partake of communion before we depart here tonight. <clears throat> I gave an overview of the book, an introduction to the book last week, and so this week, uh, let us begin uh, working through the verses. So beginning in chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Just as a brief reminder and introduction for the message tonight, this is where we're all on the same page. Paul has certainly received word from someone by letter or orally, he's received word um, that those he was used by God to lead to Christ, have been deceived or are being deceived by false teachers, trying to turn them back to something, uh, back into slavery. Well, Paul is greatly enraged at the false teachers, and he makes no effort, even from the very beginning of this letter, he makes no effort to substantiate his authority based on the school he went to, based on the church he's from, or based upon any man in any setting, or even one individual man. He, he excludes all of that as soon as he opens the letter. He boldly and clearly defends his authority based solely on Jesus Christ. I'm saying what I'm saying, preaching what I'm preaching, I'm telling you what I'm telling you, because this is what Jesus Christ said. He, he's an apostle. I mean, he has that liberty, and so he makes that clear from the very beginning. Second, Paul is deeply concerned for the believers in Galatia, and he writes this letter to turn them back to the gospel of grace. He barely gets a few sentences, or even really basically one sentence in, uh, in this greeting, and, and he begins to plunge into the power of the gospel to deliver, uh, to deliver men from the present evil age. It's like, I didn't get any authority from these guys, but I'm preaching this, and Jesus came to deliver. It just jumps right into the power of the gospel. <clears throat> Paul is absolutely convinced in the sufficiency of the gospel to deliver men and that nothing is to be added to the gospel, law, and nothing is to be subtracted from the gospel, antinomianism. It's not law-keeping and it's not neglect of law. It's neither one of those things. We, we have to understand the gospel that Paul presented to the Galatians. I would say it this way, what Paul preaches to the church of Corinth and the motive of his preaching in Corinth is very similar to what is going on in Galatians. In Corinth he says a simple short sentence, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Paul comes back to the Galatians and he preaches this passage, this whole book, writes this letter to them to establish and remind them of the true gospel that they had received. 
Uh, my thesis statement tonight sounds much like the scripture text. I don't think I changed much here. It's a very short sentence to kind of capture one through five, and it would be this. Jesus gave himself on behalf of our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That was his purpose. That was his motive. And I would add, he accomplished that, and we are to believe what he accomplished. All right, verses 1 through 3, verse 4 is the longest of the points. My first point and last point are very short. But verses 1 through 3 are apostolic authority. I don't know that I'm going to give you much of anything new here, but just to make you aware of a few things. Paul went to seminary and in the wilderness. Wilderness Seminary 101. He went out and spent some time with the Lord alone. And we learn that. I'm not going to do much here because we're going to be preaching these texts very soon. But look with me, if you will, at Galatians chapter 1 and listen to what Paul says in verses 11 and following. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, let's make this clear, it's not man's gospel. Okay, so he establishes that. I I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. He's seen the Lord. He's been sent out by the Lord. The apostolic ministry has ended in that sense. He received audible words from Christ himself to be written down. That's what he says. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy the church of God or tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, uh, maybe the Greek is like this, he set me apart from my mother's womb. From, From the time I was conceived, God had his hand on me, and he called me. How did he call me? Notice what he's doing. He's going to say the same thing to the Galatians. It was all grace. He was just generous and gave me this calling, gave me this gospel free of charge. He was pleased to reveal his son to me for this purpose, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Notice, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. That doesn't mean he never talked to any other apostles, but that wasn't his first response. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went off into Arabia. I went into the wilderness, and then I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I don't lie. This is his testimony. I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul establishes his apostolic authority based upon Christ revealing himself to him and teaching him in his time in the wilderness. Whatever went on there, 
whatever was revealed, whatever's communicated directly from Christ to Paul, he comes now with all authority and he preaches the gospel. He's saying, the gospel that I'm preaching is exactly the same as the Lord Jesus would preach. And he's going to say to us, if you hear anything different, it's a false gospel. And so it's an awful audacious claim, right? I mean, only an apostle can make this. You can't You can't go around today and say, well, you know, Jesus told me, and he said all this, and you have to listen to me because Jesus told me. No, no, no. The apostolic age is over. The truth has been revealed. It's been written down in the Bible. But Paul is an apostle and has been given the authority to speak this way. So in Galatians 1, 11 through 21, what we know is this. Jesus revealed the gospel to him. He was set apart from before birth. He's called by grace. And the Lord Jesus Christ has been revealed for the purpose that Paul would preach him. And he got his degree in the wilderness between him and the Lord. Now, a clear contrast in verse uh, 1, and you can see it in English, I think, as well, as you can see it in Greek, and that is plural and singular. He's an apostle, not from men. Men is plural, nor through man, singular. There's not a group of men that gave me this, and there's not one guy that gave me this. He is in his opening statement excluding all men, plural, singular, and then he's resting everything upon Jesus Christ alone that he may be preached, uh, that Jesus Christ alone is the means that he came to these conclusions. And it's through God the Father, who is the one who raised Christ from the dead, that makes all of this possible. This is a very bold introduction. What's your options here? Well, Paul, I don't believe you. I mean, who do you think you are? And so you can reject Paul and say he's made up these claims, or you can recognize that by the Spirit of God, these things are true and Paul is preaching the gospel. These in Galatia have to determine that. Are the false teachers true or is Paul true? Which one is it? So if I'm in that predicament, if you even had that predicament tonight, should I believe Paul or should I not believe Paul? Should I believe he's really an apostle and Jesus told him all of this? I would say one thing that you could do that would be very discerning and exegetical with the scriptures is, I don't know, study Jesus and see if Jesus says the same things Paul does. Or you could study like Acts and you could study Peter's sermon and you could study uh, uh, I, I just went blank. You could study Acts chapter seven. Stephen's sermon. You could study Stephen's sermon, and you look through and say, "Are their sermons different than Paul's? Are, are they the same sermons? Is it the same gospel?" And you say, "Well, yeah, that, Paul's not preaching something different than Jesus, right? Okay, then we can conclude safely that he has the same message because it's been revealed from the same source. Where's the different message? Well, it's these other guys." And they're saying that we need to do this, this, and this. And they're saying we don't need to do that. And we need to keep this day and not that day. They seem to be preaching something strange. They are. It's a false gospel. Now, he also, in verse 2, talks about workers. But even even though all this is singular in one sense, Paul doesn't remain singular. He has this revelation, but he doesn't just chart a course by himself. You you notice there in verse 2, all the brothers who are now with me. 
So he always works, as he comes out of this wilderness, he works together with men in the churches. You can see those in the end of Colossians, you can see them in the end of Romans, all kind of places. Paul works together with men and women for the sake of the gospel. So called individually, but working in harmony. Now, who are these people? These people are people who have repented of their sins. They've believed in Christ. They've been baptized. They are a group of people who have covenanted together in these groups in Galatia. Church plants, small churches that have been birthed and that are now beginning to take root and make a foundation. Real people, real place, with real covenant relationships. In a very real sense, it's not much different than what we have here. We're real people in a real place who have really covenanted together. Why? Because we heard the gospel and we received it. We got baptized and we made covenant together. And we're just trying to live out our Christianity until Jesus comes. So it's a very, what's been established here is still going on today. And he says simply to them, it's just a greeting, warm regards, grace to you, peace to you. And both grace and peace come from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a typical greeting uh, that he gives them there. Now, that's pretty much the introduction, and we move into verse 4, and this is where the meat of what he's saying is going to be found. You see this in verse 4. If you look at your text, you have a couple of things. Gave himself is one verb, and it's significant. And then we have a verb, deliver. He delivered us. In the ESV, it says to deliver. He's delivered us from the present evil age. Well, this one for deliver is the main function that's going on. And so let me give you a couple of uh, context for deliver. Look in your Bibles just briefly into the book of Daniel, just to kind of set the stage for this word deliver. If you look in your Bibles in Daniel chapter 6, you'll remember the story. You'll be aware of it. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. The cover's put up on the top. He's left to be mauled and eaten by the lions. The king wasn't too happy about how all of this worked out, and he's scared that Daniel is dead. But you'll find in Daniel 6, verse 25, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree in all my royal dominion. People are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That's what the pagan king says. Why? Well, he goes on. Well, because he's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdoms shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. And notice, he delivers. He rescues. His works... He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth, and he saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So all the way back in Daniel, we get a sense that when someone is in a predicament where their life is on the line and they're about to be mauled, the only thing that brings hope is deliverance. And God is the one who is able to deliver. You can also, you can see a lot of these stories. Another one you can see in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is thrown down in a pit and Ebed-Melech goes to the king on his behalf and he gets a rope and he gets some cloths, he throws them down in there, put the cloths under your arms, wrap the rope around you, and he pulls Jeremiah up out of the pit. Ebed-Melech saves his life. He delivers him in this pit where he would have surely died. Now I'm giving you those illustrations 
Because I want you to understand in verse 4, when it says that Jesus delivered us, it's not delivery like the mail. You know, we deliver mail. The mailman comes by and delivers mail into the box, and you go out there and retrieve it. It's not that type of deliverance that we're talking about. This word, this Greek word for deliverance, is when someone is at the, at the hands of peril, when they're in confining circumstances, when they're in a situation that they can't get out of without external help, being locked up, being in prison, being shackled, I need the assistance of another to set me free. Paul's gospel, the gospel Jesus preached, the gospel we preach in this church, is that a gospel that would deliver you from a predicament, from bondage, from slavery, from confinement, one that would actually free you from those things and give you this freedom that is in Christ. Now, let me give you this word, deliver, in a couple of other ways. In the Old Testament, there's a man in charge of a lot of the music in uh, the Psalms, and his name is Asaph. Asaph understood these things about deliverance. In Psalms chapter 50 and verse 12, this is what Asaph says about the Lord. He says to, to us, call upon me in the day of trouble. When you're in trouble and you're in bondage, call on me for I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Even back in the Psalms, Asaph knew deliverance is in the hands of God. Then Stephen, whose name I forgot earlier, Stephen says this about Joseph. You remember Joseph back in Genesis, all that he went through. This is what Stephen says about him. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, this is Acts 7, 9 and 10, The patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, they sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. Well, what did God do? He rescued. He delivered him out of what? All of his afflictions. And he gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. What a remarkable story is Joseph, sold into slavery, brought in, accused of trying to have adultery with Pharaoh's wife, put in prison. The cupbearer forgets his name. He gets stuck there for two more years. And all this time, he's having all these different punishments and this rejection from his family. But there's one, God, who rescues him. He rescues him. He makes him in charge of the whole stinking country. Nothing happens in all of Egypt unless Joseph says so. God delivered him. And then God said this to Moses, Acts 7, verse 34. He also says it in Exodus as well. I love the terminology. God says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I've seen it. They're in Egypt. I've heard their groaning. And I've come down to deliver them. Now, keep, I'm not leaving Galatians here. This, this word has all of this to it. Think these Galatians were in bondage. They were shackled and slaves to the world system. All of that. That's what they were. Paul's like, look, God delivers from these afflictions. You know, you, you've read the Old Testament. You read, they come out of Egypt, and they go out here and things get tough. 
And they go, man, we sure had it good back over there. We had roast and meat and all that stuff. We'd like to go back. And you, you read that and you're like, they never had that to eat. What's wrong with them? This is the Galatians. Why do you want to go back? You were delivered. What about when Peter been locked up by Herod in Acts chapter 12? And he, he's going to hold him there, and then he's going to execute him, right? Look at that real quick. This is a fascinating story in Acts um, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, just uh, the first and last part of that. <clears throat> in Acts 12, um, verse 4, when he seized him, Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. He's really scared of Peter. He's intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But notice, earnest prayer was made for him uh, 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 to God by the church. And then look what happens here. Acts 12, 11. He had been sleeping between two guards. Peter comes to himself. He says, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me delivered me from the hand of Herod. See, Herod delivered him to custody, and God delivered him out of custody, set him free in order that he didn't have to experience death at that time. What about Paul when he was about to be killed? Acts 23, verse 26. It says, Claudius Lysisius, to his excellency the governor Felix, greetings. He says, this man, talking about Paul, was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with soldiers and rescued him. He's about to be executed, and I rescued him out of this peril that he was under. And then the truth of deliverance is very personal to Paul, and that is seen in his personal testimony. Look at Acts chapter 26. So Paul, is this, this word deliverance is very significant for him. Acts 26, verse 15, when he's giving his testimony, we pick up in 15. As he's telling his testimony, he says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen which you have seen me and to those in whom I will appear to you verse 17 delivering you from your people and from the gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul says, he delivered me from these, sent me back to these. Those these include these Galatians to open their eyes, to expose them to the truth that they can have freedom that's in Christ. Paul's saying, I experienced it personally. I preached it to you and you experienced it. Why on tarnation would you go back to slavery? This this word is very significant for Paul and for the gospel. Now, we should know this by now. 
But the greatest calamity that men, including ourselves, ever have ever been imprisoned to is sin. Sin condemns us longer than any earthly sentence could condemn us. Sin locks us up tighter than any prison door could be locked. Sin shackles us tighter than any chain. Sin blinds us infinitely into a deeper darkness than physical blindness ever could. Sin kills to a level that no physical death can compare. This, we need to understand that afresh. If I really grasp the reality of the confinements of sin, deliverance means something. If you have a man in prison and you have a man sitting in a public park out here in Azel at the park on a park bench and they hear the exact same sound, the jingling of keys... That sound means something far different to the man in prison than it does to the man in the park. The man in the prison hears the keys, the door might open. The guy in the park don't care that the keys are jingling because he's not incarcerated. When Christians, when we understand how we were shackled in slavery to sin, and we hear the key of deliverance, we lift up our heads a little bit. Yes, I have a key. It came and delivered me out of this prison. If, if somehow that doesn't give you some joy, please go home and read Pilgrim's Progress and go to Doubting Castle where they're having the smack beat out of them and he finally remembers he has a key in his bosom and he pulls it out. It's the promise of God. He sticks it in, the door opens. And they're like, good brother, why didn't you pull that out earlier? It's, it's, we need to re- be reminded that we have a key that sets us free, that delivers us. And for Paul, the gospel that he preached to Galatia, this is the only thing that contains the power to deliver. Let me say it anyways. I don't know if I have the time. But, you know, nothing is going to fix society apart from the power of the gospel to deliver. You know, I was told this story the other day, but down at the Union Gospel Mission, just a couple of years before I was down there preaching, they raised $85 million, $85 million to help the homeless. I preached at the Union Gospel Mission just a few years after that juncture, right in that time frame, and when I was there, it just looked like the drug capital of the world. How do you go from $85 million in help to the homeless to making it look like a, a, a homeless drug heap? Because $85 million won't deliver you. You can go on Hattie Street and you go down all the habitat for humanity. Build a house, 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 build a house. You get to the last house, the first house is a drug house. Building a house won't deliver you. A social gospel won't set you free. It's going to take a gospel like Paul preaches to deliver you. If, if the gospel's preached and someone is actually delivered, then they're not going to be in that anymore. They'll be set free from it. Now, the question is, how did he deliver us? So we kind of picked up in the middle of verse 4. How did he deliver us? What a beautiful word. Back up in the text. He gave himself. He gave himself. This word, didomi, means to dedicate oneself for a purpose, for a cause, to give up. He gave up his body for you in order that your sins could be eradicated. A self-giving sacrifice. A verse we'll read in a moment, Luke twenty-two nineteen. This is my body. We have communion set before us. 
This is my body, which was given for you. This, this is how we were delivered, was the self-giving of Christ. Let me give you uh, contextually some other thoughts on, that, on, on the whole idea of giving for deliverance. A verse you'll know, Matthew 20, 28. To give his life as a ransom for many. Or 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Gave himself as a ransom for all. Or t- Titus 2, 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. Or Galatians 2.20 in the book that we're preaching. Whom he loved and gave himself for me. You see that there in Galatians 2.20? If you're in Galatians, just glance over there. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you have, look at this, you have given for you, plural, given for the many, given for the all, given for the us, and then Paul says, all of that's great, but here's where I really camp out. He gave himself for me. Take that personally to your own soul. Christ gave himself for me to deliver me. I mean, put your name there. Jesus gave himself for Randall that Randall could be delivered. Oh, what personal love this is. What can I say? Substitution. In my place. In my stead. He gave himself. What greater could he give? What more could heaven give? After all, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. What more can heaven give? This was early. This was early on that the church knew this. Look in Genesis. One of my favorite passages in Genesis at least. Genesis chapter 44. This is why you read your Bible through every year because you get reminded of stuff. Genesis chapter 44. And you got a guy by the name of Judah. And you see him in verse 18. He takes up the conversation through the end of the chapter. You remember the story is, if we come back <clears throat> without our brother, man, our father's just going to die. I mean, he's just going to die. He's not going to be able to take it. And he says there in Genesis 44, verse 33, Now therefore, he's saying this to Joseph, but he says, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy, instead of Benjamin. Let me stay, Judah saying, let me stay in Benjamin's place because if Benjamin doesn't go home, dad's going to die. That's substitution. Let me stay, let him go. That's Jesus. So all these years later, here comes Jesus and he says, here, let me stay on the cross and let these go. You want another scene? It's out at the Garden of Gethsemane. They come to arrest him. Hey, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. Let them go. I'll substitute in their place where they can have freedom. He gave himself for you that you could go free to be delivered from all shackles and all chains. He gave himself on behalf of what and to deliver us from what? Well, the text is clear. Look in verse 4. He gave himself for our sins. That's why. What is sin then? Any deviation from the moral character of God? Any deviation from the moral law of God? Any misrepresentation of the truth of God? Guilty. Every one of us. 
But I have news. Jesus gave himself to deliver me, and he did that because of my sin, not his. He was substituting his life in the place of our sins. And to deliver us from what? The present evil age. There's a purpose here. The purpose of the event. What is the whole purpose? We're in a present situation in which we live in a world that's fallen, that's evil. That's what we're caught up in. If we stay caught in this world and die, we go to hell. We suffer the judgment of God for all of eternity. That's a serious predicament. So we're caught in this, and if we stay in this flow with the world, we end up in hell. Christ gives himself to us to deliver us out of this, that when we die, we don't go to hell. We get to go to heaven to be with him. What a great gospel. And in all of that, you didn't do nothing. You you never kept the law. Matter of fact, you broke it. That's why he gave himself for your sin. You were never perfect. I was never perfect. There's nothing perfect about me. It was all free grace. He just, I mean, it was like goodness and loving kindness just showed up. And I said, you know what? I love Jesus. I didn't do anything. I didn't pay any money. I didn't go to school. I didn't get a degree. I didn't do a bunch of good works. He just showed me Christ and I believed him. Now, now why am I going to go back and say, you got to check all these boxes to be a good Christian? I'm a Christian. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's who I am. How can you say that? Because Christ gave himself for me. And he delivered me. And so now my name is Christian because that's what he's made me. What a glorious gospel. I have righteousness because he gave it to me. It's like when the nation of Israel was in Egypt. We were in a present, current state of being enslaved under Pharaoh. Remember that part? You keep making the same number of bricks, but you get your own stinking straw. And they would beat those people if they didn't keep up with their brick making. Moses was sent to deliver them from what? A present bondage. That's what they were under. What does the word paneras, evil, what does it mean? Present evil world. Morally or socially worthless. Wicked, evil, bad, base, vicious, degenerate. That's the world we live in. It's a fallen world. You hear this statement all the time. I don't understand why these things are going on. I do. I understand why they're going on, because the world's depraved. The the world is evil, it's bad, it's base, it's vicious, it's degenerate. That's what these type of people do. That's why this is such good news, because I get delivered out of that. I always have to make this statement. I attribute this to Dr. Paul Hoskins, and I, I love him for it. But notice when the Lord delivered them out of Egypt, Pharaoh got nothing. He didn't pay Pharaoh, and the Lord didn't pay the devil to deliver you. The Lord pays himself and meets his own demands, but he didn't pay the enemy off in any fashion. Now, what were all these actions of Jesus based upon? They were based upon the will of God. You see that there in your text, the end of the verse, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All of his actions are God's will. God's will for Jesus to give himself, God's will for Jesus to deliver us, the actions of Jesus, perfect accordance with the will of God, God's will is Jesus' will, and all of that in distinction from man's will. Everybody wants to clamor about free will. I'm concerned about God's will. 
And I'm glad it was God's will to give his son, to give himself, to deliver me from my bondage. Because his will always gets accomplished. Every time I set my will to something, it, you, I usually have a flat tire on the way or something. My will don't work out too swell. And then lastly, verse 5, all glory to God, which is the resounding theme of Paul's worship. God receives the glory for our deliverance. He's the one to whom all glory is directed. Just a short note. Any gospel teaching that credits man or obligates man is not the gospel that Paul preached. Paul's gospel is all grace, which led to zealous worship, which is the heart of Christianity. So I I conclude with this. This could be a whole sermon, but I conclude with, what is the heart of worship? What what is the heart of worship? Gratitude, thanksgiving, and endless appreciation for what God has done through Jesus for the delivering of our souls from a cruel taskmaster, setting us free to serve under an awesome master who loves us. What a wonderful way to worship. I came here today with the sole purpose of giving thanks to God for delivering me from bondage. Now, if you came to church with that purpose, you probably worship today. If you came for some other purpose, I don't know. But if you came out of deep appreciation for all that God has done for you in Christ, then you're able to worship today. What a wonderful joy. And tonight as we partake of communion, and all the times we read the Bible passages about the body of Christ, and we read the passages about the blood of Christ, and, and people read those, and, and they're great. I've never had anybody read Galatians 1.4, who gave himself. He gave his body. That's a body passage you could read. He gave himself for us, and bread's broken tonight. Remember that. Let the bread preach to you tonight. His body broken for you. His blood shed for you. Let us pray. I'll prepare the table and we will partake of communion.